Hello, and welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Roland. Um, today, our special guest is Tony. Um, he messaged us over Reddit, and we thought about getting him on the show so he could talk about Dwarf Fortress. Welcome, Tony. Hey, guys. Thanks for thanks for letting me uh, invade the roundtable. <laughs> invade. The vile force of darkness has arrived. <laughs> wait, wait, no, I'm talking about myself. No, that's not right. Uh, uh, a caravan, that's right, I'm a caravan. Well, then show us your goods, right? No. Okay. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <weird. And> Explicit rating. <laughs> slap that tag on. Sorry, Apple. <laughs> so, Tony, uh, how long have you been playing Dwarf Fortress? Uh, let's see, I think it's, like, for real, been about probably two years, but... I think like everybody, I kind of started in that that mode where you download the game and you put it up there and everything's in ASCII and you don't know what you're doing and you start pushing buttons and nothing makes sense. So I did a lot of that and then I kind of gave up and then came back to it and I was like, right, now I'm going to figure this thing out. And um, yeah, two years later, I'm still working on figuring this thing out, but uh, at, least, at least it's fun now. How did you first hear about the game? Yeah, yeah. So I got sent the I got sent a copy of the book, the O'Reilly Dwarf Fortress book. I started reading that and it just kind of blew my mind because it didn't seem like you should be able to do this with a game. And I think at the time, it was probably like 2014 or something. I don't know when that book came out, but it was a while ago. And it just didn't really match my understanding of what you could do with the game. So I, you know, I kind of looked at it and was like, "Whoa." Um, and, and also, I mean, I think that, you know, that the interface probably, you know, honestly, it, it probably scared me off a little bit, but, um, but yeah, and that, that's, and that's how it all came to be. I really need to get a copy of that book. Not, not because I'm going to be able to use it so much for learning because the game has moved on quite a bit, I think since that came out, but otherwise just to, to, to read the narrative that is, that is put forth in, in that written book. The 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 wiki is is fine, and you can pick up everything by bits and pieces by watching you know Tarn Adams' uh, videos and his presentations at conferences and things. The game really deserves a good story narrative that you know you could actually base a book or a documentary on it. Yeah, right. It's it's really interesting, and it's so cool to see what some people have done. Like. Um... I think the one thing that really, really got me going was um, there's a guy on Reddit called Paradexus Arant or Arant, or I'm sure I'm I'm gonna butcher however that name works, but he or she has done this absolutely incredibly detailed tutorial and walkthrough, including giving you a save game that they based it on. It makes it all so easy, and it kind of each stage just kind of builds off what you learned in the last one, and so that that's what really got me into it. And it just, it just made it easy. I felt like I was sort of accidentally learning things that that person is definitely like my hero for getting people going in door fortress. Cause not only have they done it in a, in a cool way, they've all, it's just like the way that it's written is incredibly accessible. So, you know, I'd love to see that kind of be linked to the steam release or something just to get people going because it's, it's, it's a breeze with that. Love it. And it goes, and it goes, it goes deep too. So you can, you can kind of, um, you know, go really deep. Like he's even got a thing about like training archers and using mine carts. Fun with magma. I mean, come on. That's, that's just, that's just the greatest thing ever. 
but so yeah, I've got this uh, Paradexus Arant DF walkthrough page up here. This looks awesome. Um, yeah, this person has dedicated so much time to putting this thing together and has kept it pretty updated and relevant. And I I believe this is also the same hero that makes the DF starter pack, which I mean, come on, that's amazing mm -hmm. too. So um, lots of lots of great stuff here. Okay, well, that's uh, certainly someone that we got to tap their shoulder and get them on here. Well, I mean, I figure if anybody can convince people to play Dwarf Fortress and then help them get started, that's great. Because as much as I love the game and I have friends who play games, I have never once successfully convinced anyone to play this game because I think it's just the prospect is too scary. I I, I don't get it. But um, yeah. I, I have seen the same thing with uh, with my friends. They, uh, especially whenever I told them that we were doing this podcast, they would say, oh, well, is this a game? It sounds neat. And I would describe it to them and they would think that it sounds really cool. Then they download it and start to try to play it. And they go through the exact same thing that it seems that everybody does. They look at it. They become a bit intimidated. It looks as though it's more trouble than it's going to be worth. So they stop. Yeah. yeah and and do you think that's going to change with the Steam release? Uh, not if the UI doesn't change. I mean, it, the, meaning the uh, the the mechanisms of control. It's going to yeah. look nicer. It sounds like it's going to sound nicer, but uh, you know, I don't know the uh, the whole keyboard centric thing. Don't get me wrong, I love it. I think that it, and I don't know if it's because of a, a some elitist thing in my head, but I like the fact that there's a barrier of entry to this game, and I'm part of a club that not everybody's in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting, isn't it? I, I you know, I I downloaded the vanilla, um, the just the regular forty four twelve off Bay twelve games and put it up, and was you know was thinking, oh, I'll just you know I'll just play through this because I you know I know how the mechanics work and I know what the ASCII, I know how the ASCII works. But the thing that killed me was the lack of you know just embedded, just the lack of default mouse support because I'd forgotten just how reliant I am now on the mouse to just be able to click on things, to query them or to, you know, place the first, you know, tile when I, when I do some mining or whatever, it's just, it's a lot more intensive without the mouse support. So boy, it'd be cool to see that bundled in with the steam release. Yeah. I've, I, I don't know. Uh, I should also say I have played very little dwarf fortress without the lazy noob pack. It's I did download vanilla and my first tutorial that I went through was uh was just vanilla dwarf fortress and and I and I did some work with it. But then I heard about the lazy noob pack, I downloaded it, it was so it was so easy. That's how I have played ever since. So Yeah, I mean um I usually go with the two versions, you know. I've talked about this, one normal and one for editing. And um, both are actually lazy noob. I have somewhere a vanilla version, so I always have the newest, but uh, I tend to not use that. I have two times uh, lazy noob, mostly because I have the mouse support and I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm lazy and a noob, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I started using the Mef tile pack. Um, he has his own launcher 
that is really good. I mean, it gives you pretty much everything you got with the lazy noob pack. Um, but it has his tile set, the latest version of his tile set, which I think is great. Um, it looks really, it looks really clean and nice and he's, he's done a lot of work on it and I've followed his dev progress over on Reddit. And I think he's developed a lot of the sprites and, and workshops and things himself, but he's also poached stuff out of, um, 16 bit, uh, super Nintendo games. So, you know, if you've played those games, you can see things like the tree i think that he uses came from secret of mana super nintendo so it's kind of cool to see some of those things pop up again and it's it's great it really i mean now i just i can hardly imagine the game without it now um because it, it just looks so good and it's so it seems so native after i talked to you earlier in the week i did a change to the meth light graphics tile set and i do like it very much i don't know if it's if it supports text as text or text will be text yeah and his launcher all that stuff is built in um and you know you can change the 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 font and all that kind of stuff um and then the one that come the his tile set that comes with lazy noob is i think like his 1.2 or 1.3 version and he just he just donated i guess i should say or released his 5.0 version and he's got some really cool things in there. Like I think you can build diagonal walls and he's got banquet tables that he's added in. And I mean, some really cool um, graphical enhancements, but yeah. And it, and it all, you know, it's all, I think it textually text is in there as well. So, and it, you know, it's all in his own launcher. So, you know, it's setup is instant. I'll have to try that. Does he, does he build DF hack into it, into his launcher? Yeah, he does. Which I mean, you know, I know some people don't like using that, but I don't know. I I'm, I go for it. I like I like using some of the DF hack stuff. I probably can't tell you a whole lot about what it's like without it because I've very I haven't used it very much without DF hack running in the background. So I get a lot of the benefits without knowing that they're benefits. I'm sure. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, I haven't really even thought about some of the stuff I'd lose. I guess mouse query being one, which I think I mentioned is something that my brain can't do without. You know, I like to be creative with words. I like to write. Uh, I would by no means call myself an author, but I like to write things. And one of my stories is actually, no, two of my stories are actually uh, Dwarf Fortress inspired. One of that is basically just the entirety of my playtime in a fort called Palm Torch. And uh, the other is a story about a beast that is uh, strolling around the world. I like the story about my fort way more, especially the first, I don't know, page maybe. It's it's quite good, I can safely say for myself. Uh, it's, it's hard to actually make Dwarf Fortress into a coherent story um, because you have the chunky bits of the game in it and you have to edit that out and fill it in with more creative wibbly wobbly words yeah 
looked uh, a lot like uh, a lot like uh, Krug Smash did with uh, with a uh, Honey Stoker and the whole the whole uh, Moses plot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of gaps that you know that you can fill in, but it does give you some amazing cues that you know if you if you want to be that creative person like you can totally write like a backstory for some random dwarf just based on you know these these crazy things that they say to you like that you know like i had a goblin that that kept getting aroused at any sort of performance she saw and i'm like well what but she was the lone goblin in the fortress so i'm like maybe she's just frustrated about being the only goblin in the fortress where everybody probably isn't into her i don't know you know i just you you really have that possibility mm-hmm. well for example for example in my story i thought that the better a door is made the more it actually looks like a lot of the rings uh, dwarven door where dwarven doors are when they are closed basically like a piece of the rock surrounding it and um so i thought a masterwork dwarven door is exactly like the rock around it and i based it around that thought of it so dwarves actually go past a hidden door which in my game was just a locked master work uh stone door <laughs> speak friend and enter yeah totally <laughs> so i mean is that your current fort that you're working on or is that a or is this a, a previous effort or it is a previous fort it actually died about a year ago because of fps reasons this was the fort with the giant toilet in it <laughs> um, it saddens me that I cannot go back to it because FPS stuff and zombies d- d- everywhere, basically. Yeah. Oh, oops. Yeah. I had okay. I had luck one time resuscitating a fart. I abandoned it and then kind of let ten years or something pass, and then I went back to it. And I mean, it was dirty, and there were like cobwebs and stuff everywhere. But there were a few crazy dwarves still in it and i took it over and i was able to kind of bring it back from the edge of fps death and you know kill the tavern and all that kind of stuff have you ever tried to bring something back to life like that or had any success with that um i tried i actually did it for one fortress i don't exactly remember but um that fortress just ran so good even while i was gone and after I came back again, uh, that I retired it again because I had no reason to like control it any longer. Yeah, hey, if they do better without you, right? <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> I'm clearly the negative influence. So, Roland, the things that you said there brought up two separate lines of, of thought that I'd like to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, first, is your tale of your fortress that you're using as your creative outlet, is that a prose thing or is it done in video form how how is it oh you know what format is it in oh it is typed up just text you know if you'd like you know i think that our 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 uh website the dwarf fortress roundtable website if you'd like to actually get it out to the public then we can certainly post it there um yeah it's not finished i don't know if it ever will it's quite long okay. but well you know that is certainly an option if if, if yeah you want yeah to... i would totally come back to that yeah. and i would actually like to 
encourage our listeners, if they have anything like that and they would like to have it published, uh, we'd be happy to put a page on on the Dwarf Fortress Roundtable website for, you know, community creative stuff. I mean, we probably, if if it's a video form, you probably want to publish to YouTube and just we'd do a link because we don't have unlimited bandwidth or hosting space. But we certainly could put any kind of text that anybody would want to to do, you know, within reason. Uh, I'm sure that there, I could see situations where it wouldn't be appropriate, but, you know, that's... Oh, er- erotic I mean, Dwarf Fortress fan fiction. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, what Sorry. kind of uh, what what length of text would be appropriate? You know, just text and not uh, tons of pictures and stuff. It's not going to be a problem, I don't think, because if I recall correctly, the entire three volume set of Lord of the Rings, if it was text files only, could fit on like two uh three and a half inch floppy drives well good because of almost eight thousand words oh you're nearly there (laughs) (laughs) text files are very 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 small is if you're just talking about using the ascii or even if it's unicode so yeah i don't think that the the length of text will be a problem uh you would want to make sure you know, like I said, there's probably some exceptions, and I don't want to ha- just say anybody can post anything on our on our mm. site. Of course, Obviously. it's subject to our approval, and if we don't want it on there, we won't put it on there. But yeah, uh, within reason, and, and I'm happy to be an outlet for, for that sort of thing. Except for uh, erotic fan fiction, thank you, but thank no. <laughs> you know, if we want to put a, a a red light over a over a link, then you know. I don't care. That's fine. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> what have I done? A whole new untapped genre. Oh jeez. Oh no 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 no! Stop. <laughs> Goblins after dark. <laughs> Ferocious beasts. Uh, okay. <laughs> hey yo. Anyway, um, the other item that uh that you brought to mind when you were talking about your fortress that had died because of frame death. What kind of computer power are both of you harnessing with your dwarf fortress? Are they really fast, hot gaming systems? Uh, I've, I've got an I seven, but it's like, uh, I don't know for the 4,000 series. So I think it's like five years old now. So it's not a, you know, a whiz bang supercomputer or anything. Um, and I mean, is it bad that when I look at computers, I, I really, the benchmark I want is how many maximum dwarves can I use with the CPU before FPS death? Like, is that, are my priorities out of whack here? <laughs> because that's kind of one of the things I want to know. But no, yeah, I know they're, not I, out of, they're not <laughs> out of whack at all. And that's kind of what I was, what I was wondering. If I'm not mistaken, I have heard uh, Tarn Adams talking about the fact that he doesn't utilize multiprocessors that that well. He's he's not he, he hasn't figured out at least whenever I heard this particular interview he hadn't figured out how to utilize the multiple processors so well. Uh, so I don't know that the multi core is going to help you so much as probably lots and lots of memory and lots and lots of uh, uh, speed per core. Yeah, single thread performance seems yeah. to be the key indicator there, and and so I think with like what I've seen, I think with my now ancient i7, 
versus one of the brand new ones. I think single thread performance isn't that radically different between the generations of Intel CPUs. So I don't know that you'd get a huge boost from like a, you know, an i9 8800 or 9900 or whatever, however they call it. Versus, you know, something just because it's all single thread anyway. So, excuse me, i nine. Yeah, you can buy an i nine now. Oh, What's Jesus the latest Christ. one? Um, I know. Well, I too have an i seven, um, which is three years old now. I think, but you're completely right. The single core speed is not really improving anymore. Sadly. Yeah. So, have we reached Max Dorf for a while? I don't know. I wonder. Uh, I hope not. I I do too. I'm like I want to get a quantum computer so I can play this game and have these like <laughs> ten thousand person cities. Like, come on, let's let technology catch up to what's really important here. Imagine you have an, like a NASA computer. What I would do is try to play Dwarf Fortress with two thousand dwarfs in my fortress. That would be incredible. Yeah, I, you know, I like, yeah, you, so you can get an i9-9900K now. Um, so, oh. and it's, yeah, but I, but again, I think single core performance is, is your, is your thing there. And I, and I, there's, there've been a bunch of threads on Reddit that have talked about multi-thread versus single threaded. And I think the consensus from some of the people who are better at far better at programming than I had said something along the lines of one of the challenges that Dwarf Fortress has is that um, all of the roles and all of the turns are basically kind of dependent on what happened first. So if you started spinning things off in multiple threads, they'd end up just waiting for each other and it might not make that much of a difference. And I'm sure if there's a programmer listening, they're probably just shaking their head saying, well, that guy doesn't understand. But that was my takeaway from it. Well, was the, I am a was I am a programmer, and I, yeah, that's that's quite possible. Especially if he didn't do architecture in the program that was considered for for specifically for multi-threading. I don't know, but I have just got a feeling that there is a lot of I don't want to say spaghetti code, but uh, but there are probably uh, code that is fragile. <laughs> that's probably fair. I think he's even said that, you know, I think he's just like, look, you know, like this is the way it is. But I also kind of appreciate that, you know, because I think a lot of people have said, you know, if you open source it, then, you know, we can help you. And I, you know, I love open source, but I can also kind of see why somebody that's a big ideas guy, like, well, ideas guys like the Adams Brothers, I can see why they'd want to kind of play it close to the vest. Because I think when you, you know, when you bring in additional developers or you bring in or you open source the product you know your vision can kind of almost take a back seat to the whim of the world or whatever and and i just see them as such ideas guys i can see why they'd want to be somewhat you know play their cards close to the vest or whatever just because i mean they're doing a great job with it anyway so you know their vision seems pretty awesome anyway so you know i, I can see why they'd want to kind of you know, be more protective of that not and protect is probably the wrong word but yeah i, I don't know if i'm I think it's quite a it's quite a, yeah yeah you don't want to spoil something that's amazing <laughs> you know <laughs> just by and i have by absolutely i have no problem with it with it being closed source i do hope <laughs> i think that i heard him say that in his will it will be open sourced or something like that i hope that's the case yeah just aren't they giving it to the museum of modern art i thought that's what i'd read because it's, it's already sound- in there yeah yeah but i thought upon his death 
that it would it would basically be given open source into the into the Museum of Modern Art, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, I have no problem with it being closed source, especially if he's he's making the the making it be free. And you know, it it is. It's a situation where this is his life's work baby. It's not like he has grabbed something that was open source and then figured out a way to close off, fork it and shut everything down. Um yeah. this is this is his his life's work, so that's fine. And yeah, and you I know think. what I yeah, and and I mean, I almost would rather sort of see him carry out the whole vision, and then once he's got it to a point, and he's like, "Okay, this is boy, this is what I had in mind." Then in twenty years, come back and say, "Right now, you'll get your five hundred dwarf fortresses or whatever." I I don't know. It's just I don't know. Version I, it, one point Yeah, version one point and we're, <laughs> we're we're less than halfway there. So that that to me is also kind of awesome. I, I love the fact that like it's going to continue to evolve. And we're not, and it's not done. So long as he keeps up the, the, I don't know, the atmosphere and the, the philosophies that he has now. It's, it's going to yeah, be. Yeah, for sure. And hey, we've got what we have now. So if by chance he said, okay, forget it, I'm selling this to Valve, uh, you know, we still have what we have, which is going to electronic arts and we're going to do microtransactions. So you want more plump helmets? That's a dollar. And, uh, <sighs> No. <laughs> Buy a diamond pickaxe for one ninety nine, or wait till the next caravan comes, or have a caravan now for another dollar. Get it in the Apple Store or Google Play. No, oh. I I love the fact that I don't think he'll do that. Um, and and I also that PC Gamer interview was really good. I don't know if you guys had to to read some of that, but I already thought that he and his brother were amazing developers, and like game vision guys but reading that like they just seem like decent people too which i don't know somehow makes it all seem even better has anybody read his uh his dev notes for this last couple weeks you know there's a lot to unpack there but i i did kind of skim over it and i mean man it's just it's so dense some of the stuff that he's doing it's just i mean it's kind of hard for me to kind of conceptually figure out how this is all going to play out but it's it's these really like nuanced details into behavior and motivations of villains and criminals and it just it just blows my mind every time i read it so i always have to go back and read it like three or four times to see if i really understood what i thought i saw yeah yeah i'm kind of glancing through the the update from day before yesterday and Wow. Yeah, that's the most complicated plot here was snatching as it involves the new hideouts and also the disposition of the hostage afterward. (laughs) Yeah. And and then and then he even describes it. I mean, if I feel like if he's describing something as bleak, you know, boy, it must be pretty, pretty dark. But yeah, corrupt imprisonment and framing that that that's crazy stuff. I'm excited. But I mean, the, on the the top level of my head says there's no way that this can actually be pulled off. But, you know, there's some deep crap in there already. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've had vampires lie about their name to sneak into the fort. Um, so I guess, you know, I was thinking about that and I thought, well, if they can lie about who they are 
um, to sneak into the fort. I mean, that in itself is kind of cool and somewhat inexplicable. I mean, gosh, if you just kind of pull that thread and see where else you can take it, it's that's pretty neat. In adventure mode, you can now um, assume an identity, you know? Yeah. For some reason, I made some kind of adventure um, the last time to check that out. And I think I assumed the identity of some kind of priest of a god of, I don't know, war or blood or something. Then I would go around and slaughter things. And after I slaughter that, I would pray to my god. And after a bit, people actually talked to me like a priest. And <laughs> what, what are titles for a priest? Um, in the game? Gosh, I don't know. Good question. Or do you mean in real life? Yeah, well, either one, because I, mean, um, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And they Padre? started... Nah, but they started to call me like that. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> All right, so what you're saying is the dwarves aren't particularly adept at uh, checking out who people say they are. I guess if that, that's that skill, adequate judge of character. Um, if like, if you're not very good at judging a character, you'll just take somebody at face value. He actually says something about that in these notes. Come to th come to think of it, it, says a villain or their agent will choose a technique based on whichever one they think will provide the best outcome. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you have you have a computer without agency making decisions on what they think will be the best outcome. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and what's really cool is, is somehow he's managing to do this without using or leveraging any sort of like machine learning framework. Um, and I just I just wonder, man, if you ever start seeing how some of this ML stuff works, what would happen to this game, and would it become sentient and just take us all over or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we should maybe you should edit that out of your recording because that, that maybe we shouldn't give him that idea. Or, or maybe, maybe you'll have frame depth, uh, frame depth during world building. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, you could kind of almost get that if you if you do too much history. But you know, there are ways around the computer intensive stuff. I was reading, actually, it was a a video on YouTube that I was looking at about people who are hacking the original uh, doom source code and they came across the random number generator in the, the old game doom. And instead of actually having a random number generator that they used, they simply saved in the source code, a 250, uh, 256 uh, value array. And every time the random number generator was called, it just advanced the index of the array one step. So there was these 256 pseudo random numbers that they just saved. And that's what they used as their random number generator. So instead of actually calling a routine to generate a random number, it just said, what's the next number in my list? Yeah, that's a, that's a cool idea. I mean, it's so interesting, like trying to figure out how to, you know, how to play that game of how do I, how do I build this really exciting fort, but also know that at some point I'm going to murder my CPU and um, the fort will die. And it's so interesting to see some of the things people come up with, like 
how do you design your fortress for maximum FPS performance? Or, I mean, are those considerations that you guys ever take into account when you're making your layouts? I don't because I've, because again, I've not had a fortress uh, become as advanced as that being a problem. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Roland, have you? Um, I'm not really thinking about that uh, when I build, but I tend to actually use some kind of techniques like wide hallways and um, long path without edges or tiny rooms uh, taking off on that. So it's always the same, very simple design with long, straight hallways. And it tends to work really great. I usually don't have any FPS problems at all until I hit like 250 dwarfs. Or if I try to um, mass pit some animals, like five dogs oh, yeah. at once will totally lag everything to shit. And suddenly I have like five FPS. And Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, I think I read that same tip about the wide hallways and that. And then my earlier strategy was to, I used to love to build forts on multiple levels. So I would build, you know, like the barracks on one level and the mayor's chambers or king's chambers or baron's chambers on another. And I'd stack it and have these like 10 layer deep forts. And then I just, I'd read that you can really dramatically boost your FPS if you start putting everything on one level and being kind of simplistic in how you draw your corridors. And I don't know, maybe this is anecdotal, but it seems to have made a difference for me anyway. Um, I, I can get a lot deeper into the, into the weeds with the number of doors and have taverns and all sorts of other stuff. And before I see any troubles, but you know, maybe it's, maybe it's anecdotal or maybe it's real. I don't know. Roland, you said that you had the issue uh, with the dogs when you had five dogs that were really killing your your processor. Is that? Do you think that's dog specifically, uh, or just no, no, any no, kind no. of animal? It's not really dogs. I don't know what happens, but sometimes I have too many animals and I'm too bored to just slaughter them because I have too much to eat. So I just get rid of them. Um, a great way is just build a mass pit down a shaft down and you s throw them in and they just die whatever and um, <clears throat> works great just like real life yeah exactly weird thing is i'm also a great fan of cage traps and sometimes you have to like clear them out and if you have 250 cats or something that's way too much you know and also, if you have too many normal farm animals of different kinds, like horses, who needs horses? And come on, I can yeah. store them. They don't really give milk. They don't really give hair or wool or whatever. Throw them in the pit, please. Just just go ahead. I, I know that's, that's quite awful, but it's a game, so, so I'm fine. If you have a lot of animals at once, you try to throw away your CPU will catch fire or explode. <laughs> it's horrible. I'm not sure if there's any kind of animal that will that is worse for that. Eh, ten animals at once. So it's not good. Not good. The animal thing can just run away so fast because if you're not on it, all of a sudden you have this, I don't know, horse explosion. And mm -hmm. you know, suddenly you have 10,000 horses and stacks and stacks of horse soap 
and yeah, and it can kind of get away from you before you know what happens. So yeah, a quick way to do it would be would be really great. And that sounds like a pretty good way you've got going there, Roland. Well, I know because <laughs> you know this shaft system. Of course, you can build like the one shaft down and just throw everything in. That's eh, it's boring. You can also overdo it. Um, and build an 8x8 shaft with completely engraved walls all the way down to the third cavern layer with a automatic flush system like I did. It works great, by the way. If you have the flush system done like I did, so the water sprouts down and washes everything out of your map, that's great. You should totally try that because cleaning is so easy when you have a giant toilet. Yes, I love that. I wonder if you could do that for post-siege cleanup, because that's been another problem I've had, is like a siege comes through, and even though I have a siege entrance, everybody gets really, really sad when they see, you know, bones and guts and gore all over everything. They just totally lose their minds. Um, so yeah, like a quick flush system for that would be super cool. I keep trying to experiment with different ways of doing it, which so far have ended up in me flooding my fort so i think probably more work is needed i hear you when i did that automated flush system i had some accidents let's just let it rest at that people died horribly but i managed to actually figure it out and uh, now i have a giant toilet <laughs> My fortress, Umstizkal, or Sizzled Wheels, <laughs> is in a period of doldrum right now. I am up to uh, about 45 dwarves, and unfortunately, the, this last couple of weeks, I have not had nearly the time that I would like to have played Dwarf Fortress, but I am kind of aimlessly digging at this point, waiting for something to happen, I think. So I really need to actually create a goal for myself and start working toward it. So. Well, how about you go into the caverns? Have you done that? No, no, I've not done that yet. I could do that. Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah, I'm going to dig down to the caverns and everything else be damned. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> That's the spirit. That's the spirit, yes. And you will get, uh, let me see, bats and troglodytes and cave spiders and uh, death dwarfs. And uh, it's, it will be wonderful. You should do that. I will do that. <laughs> Roland, uh, how's your quest for world domination going? My quest for world domination. Um, let me recap. Uh, people died because of trolls. And people died because of me being idiotic and using bridges everywhere to, like, uh, seal the cavern. And uh, some idiot ran in, uh, I remember, with his cat to, like, get silk. And I walled him off. I have some um, weird tribe of... I don't know if, if it was amphibian or fishman. Some kind of weird creatures uh, going around in my caverns, and um, they have like um, blow darts. And 
they slaughtered my dwarf and my cat. There is no way I will ever unseal this cavern again. I just flooded with magma at some point. But the quest for world domination is actually really slow right now because I'm trying to get this fort um, really settled in, you know, like uh, watchtowers and uh, walls everywhere, neat and secure. And that takes a lot of time. When you flood a, a area with magma, will it eventually cool and turn into stone or does it just stay hot magma? Um, it will cool at some point. Um, it will cool when you put it on top, like on the very top of uh, the earth. It will cool. It will just destroy the block underneath. But it will not really um, make a new block of obsidian or whatever. So you won't be able to actually close the cavern and then be able to dig through that again, if you know what I'm talking about. I do. And that was basically what I was asking, if you could do that. Um, you would need water for it and cool off the magma quickly. And then you could... Oh my god. Then you could uh, have a closed-off cavern, like for real. Like have an obsidian yeah. factory. Yeah. Hmm. Ideas. Sounds kinky. <laughs> uh, Tony, uh, have you got a fortress that you are working on right now? Yeah, I've been I've been kind of working on a world really that that I've been going a little crazy with. So the current the current fort's called um, Mordigal or Temple Galleys, and the 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 way I've been playing this one is I've got a goblin civilization that I'm trying to fight. Um, and I've run into, I had a big battle with a place called monster kisses, which I think is my favorite <laughs> goblin city ever. But now I've run into a place called fly tomb and I'm kind of playing like red Rover. So I, they keep taking dwarves prisoner and then I rescue them. And then the last rescue mission to get the last dwarf out they end up then capturing that whole force and then i have to kind of start it over again and it seems like fly tomb is inhabited by uh, a hedgehog man monster um who turns out to be the leader of the goblin civilization and is very 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 ferocious and seems to have endless trolls at his command um and the population of the fortress is only 40 so i i don't know what's going on so I've, I'm determined to, to keep building enough forts to eventually conquer Flytomb. So we'll see how that works out. But um, this is my third fort now. <laughs> but the others are still alive and doing better without me. But no one's conquered Flytomb yet. So, You know, that's just amazing. It, it, what you just described there sounded like the plot from an epic novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, it's been, it's been so cool. So like I had this first fort called gloved movement and, and everything went really well there. Um, but I don't know what happened to that one now. I think it, I think people just went crazy. I think it was like a tantrum spiral, but there's now there's 750 dwarves there and tons of artifacts. So that's cool. Oh, wow. And then the next attempt was called circle bodice, which I think is a great name. And there's a thousand people in that one. 
but it was FPS death. And so now, you know, now we're, now we're on to temple galley. So we'll see if I can manage FPS and moods and, and whatnot. But yeah, it's, you know, I love it. It's, it's amazing what you can do with this thing. So, yeah, it sounds like to win, to win the game is you get a, a fortress so successful that you end up with FPS death and you retire it and you watch it from afar, see how it does without your guiding hand. Yeah, and in this one, so my previous two forts, I, I, I guess I got really excited by the idea of having non-dwarves in my forts. So my first fort, I ended up having all these humans join in elves. And okay, don't judge me. Um, but yeah, I ended up having like an elven army sending them out to go attack. And there was just something satisfying about that. So then I went I sort of doubled down on diversity fort for the next one and ended up with a goblin mayor and a chief medical dwarf being a goblin, which again, I think that's awesome. And yeah, in this one, I'm determined to not have a, because I think that they just bring so much riffraff with all of the people who want to entertain and stuff. I, you know, I don't think my poor CPU can keep up with it. So I'm trying to experiment to see if I can do temples and libraries and that sort of thing. And then still manage FPS. Endless things to do. Yeah, need, need. All right. Well, um, I think this might be a good place to wrap up the episode. Tony, it's been great having you. No, this was fun. Thanks. And Roland, I guess until next time. Yeah, until next time on Dwarf Fortress Table. <laughs> See you guys later. Thanks. This has been Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things Dwarfy. You can find all our past episodes at dfroundtable.com. Please stop by and leave a comment or suggestion in the comments section of this episode. While you're there, you can subscribe to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable or find us in the podcast service of your choice. Music is Sky Q. Ellen, composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find Kevin McLeod's music at incompetech.com. You can find a link in the show notes. This is a shale podcast. All craft dwarfship is of the highest quality. It is encircled with bands of oval shale cabochons. <laughs> <laughs>